Hey everyone, welcome to Goodbye Privacy. I am your host, James Azar. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, James underscore Azar1. If you need to know how to spell Azar, it's Alpha Zulu Alpha Romeo. And follow the link that's right on the screen if you're watching uh, to follow me there. On today's episode, we will review the existence of data brokers, how they make money, and one year after GDPR Part 2. And finally, the Equifax breach has cost over $1.4 billion, and that doesn't include any court settlements. But before we get started, and before I kind of give you guys a pitch, I want to apologize for my voice. I have been sick for the last three or four days, which is why I haven't posted a lot of content. I've been trying to get my voice back, trying to feel better. Micah's trying to help me do that, but we had to get some stuff going. So I apologize if my voice gets a little bit raspy or if I pause to get a drink of water while we do this. I'm just trying to get you guys and keep you guys informed. And that's why I'm asking you guys to please support our podcast by going to patreon.com forward slash cyberhub engage. That's where you can financially support our podcast by being a cyberhub engage subscriber and follower means that you care about your security and privacy. And you know that we care about it too. We are working hard around the clock to research different privacy and cybersecurity challenges, issues, violations, and good things that are going on and bring those to you every single week by supporting us for ten dollars ten dollars a month you get to actually watch me live record a goodbye privacy podcast after which i open it up for a q a on the very topic we just discussed so make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash cyberhub engage again that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash cyberhub engage where you can support us and get our eternal thanks Last week's episode was all about GDPR, and our mailbag kind of filled up with a few more questions, and I want to kind of take those on early instead of waiting for our mailbag episode because I didn't want it to be all about GDPR. I have said in our last episode that GDPR hasn't proven that an EU citizen has more privacy rights outside of controlling and asking to be forgotten. However, there are loopholes within that very clause. Um, you can be forgotten, but then once you re-engage with the company, website, or brand, your rights are gone and it's back on. So GDPR, to me, is really been more of a cash grab than really a lot to protect privacy. And I've got statistics to back this up for the first year. So 89,000 data breach reported according to epic.org, epic.org. And over 144,000 privacy complaints were lodged by EU citizen which is an overall population, is only 0.0002% of the European population. That's if 144,000 complaints all came from separate individuals. There's 512 million people in the EU. So 144,000 complaints just lets you know how many people really care about privacy in the European Union. And you want to remind me again how this isn't a cash grab. When you think of it, in the first year of GDPR, the EU governments have fined companies over just under 56 million euros, which is right around $60 million, with the biggest fine of all being against Google for 50 million by France. And there's now hundreds and if not thousands of fines pending against tens of thousands of companies in the European Union. And people want to argue that GDPR is a privacy law and not a cash grab. 
It's a cash grab, folks. And and the numbers prove it. The numbers prove it right here and there. 144,000 privacy complaints from 512 million people in the European bloc. 89,000 data breach reported. And the violations against Google and the $50 million fine wasn't even about a breach. It was about some sort of privacy oversight that Google wasn't in time for or whatever the case may be. But it was France short on budget and they needed to make some money. And so they slapped Google with a 50 million euro fine, which was just ridiculous. And I think yours, um, I think Google's actually appealing it. I'm not advocating Google here, folks. I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to do a privacy law, make it more about the citizen and less about the fines. But I want to get to today's episode, data brokers. So have you, ever, have you ever received an advertisement in the mail, online, or on your mobile device, and you've been impressed by how eerily relevant it was to your exact interest or situations? Some of you may have chalked it up to coincidence, or that kind of accuracy is just, you know, hey, they know. Well, that kind of accuracy doesn't really happen by chance. What's more likely is that the business purchased your information from a data broker. And if you're not familiar with data broker, then let me help you understand just exactly who they are. Data brokers is a multi-billion dollar industry, billions with B, made up of companies who collect consumer data and sell it to other companies, usually, and I emphasize the word usually, for marketing purposes. The original, the Original of the data brokers for those listening is the yellow pages and white pages. We all remember those big yellow books. Those were the original data brokers. They would collect the data and then they would sell it to companies and they would sell it to us consumers. So what do they know about you and how much do they make off of our personal information? Let's start with some brief background information on data brokers. Essentially, there are companies who collect information from public records online activity, purchase history, and resell it to other companies for marketing purposes. The more companies know about consumers, the more targeted and successful they can make their advertisements. So data brokers try to collect as much information as they can. Today, there are over 4,000 data broker companies worldwide. Asixium, A-C-X-I-O-M, one of the largest, has 23,000 servers collecting and analyzing consumer data, processing data for over 500 million consumers worldwide and up to 1,500 data points per person. And that's just one company. But where do they get their information from? Over 1,400 leading brands, leading brands, sell information from various sources. Some of it could be store loyalty cards, to data brokers, meaning that if you've ever signed up for a loyalty card or a store credit card, if you've ever followed a page on Facebook, if you've ever interacted with them on Twitter, chances are they are actually selling that data to a broker. And depending on the store you sell that data to, depending on the store you signed up with or you follow, you could be added to a variety of different databases. For example, if you've signed up for a loyalty card or you follow a pet store online, chances are your information is going to be sold to companies looking to market to pet owners. 
Although it is a relatively new industry, data brokers already have information for a pretty sizable amount of the population. In fact, 80% of U.S. email addresses are on file on Tower Data, and 38% of employed American space stubs information is available on Equifax alone. In addition, databases like Campaign Grid and ProPublica have political information, including party affiliation and campaign contributions for 80% of the registered American voters. And this goes back to the 2016 um, election meddling and the Cambridge Analytica scandal with Facebook. This all ties in right here, folks. It's pretty safe to assume that some of your data is on file with brokers. Now, let's analyze just really how much money are these data brokers making from our data that they're not paying us anything to get, and what is it really worth for us? So it turns out consumer data is actually really freaking valuable. It's often, we often say, oh, it's not worth a lot of money. Everyone's got an email. They're being very dismissive of it. Fact is, an average email address is worth almost $90 to a brand over time. So it makes sense that they're willing to pay for it especially for that kind of information. In 2002, the data brokering industry generated $150 billion in revenue. That's twice the size of the entire intelligence budget of the United States government. Now, data brokers today in 2019 is over a $200 billion a year industry, and it's not showing any signs of slowing down or becoming less profitable. So, What do these data brokers really know? And I want to kind of dig deep on this very topic here. So they buy or license data and they scrape public records. Third-party data companies can assemble thousands of attributes each for billions of people around the globe. We see that with China's social score um, and we're seeing it with some of the credit bureaus that we're going to be talking about as well. But for decades, companies could buy uh, lists of magazine subscribers to build targeted advertising audiences. These days, if you use a smartphone or a credit card, it's not difficult for a company to determine if you've gotten through a breakup, if you're pregnant, trying to lose weight, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, what medicine you take, where you've been, and even how you swipe and tap on your smartphone. All this data is readily available. Some of it is obtained through browser cookies and trackers that are a major part of website infrastructure. I did a whole episode on it, episode four, on browser cookies and how they work. If this is your first time listening to Goodbye Privacy, make sure you tune in to our episode number four, The Attack of the Browser Cookies, where you can learn exactly how cookies take your data, process your data, and allows for a multitude of companies to actually track your online performance. Now, there are web browsers that offer you tracker blocking software to do that. However, you do lose some features by using those browsers and the big companies remind you of that consistently. All that information that they collect can be used to create profiles of us. Think of them as virtual or possibly erroneous versions of you that can be used to target us with ads, classify the riskiness of our lifestyle, determine our eligibility for a job or to get a loan or for pairing us to a possible life mate, like dating, any one of those things. And like companies themselves, the risk can be hard to see. Apart from the dangers of merely collecting and storing all that data and all those details, 
Consumer profiles can lead to race or income-based discrimination in a high-tech version of redlining. So if I'm a African-American male from Oakland, California, and in the part of Oakland that is predominantly poor, chances are I will not see ads that help me define and improve my life. I'll probably see stuff that's more defined to keep me in the cycle I exist in. This is a level of discrimination that the tech industry battled years back that said they have addressed, but data brokers don't really care for it. In fact, is any advertising platform you use allows you to really define those red lines, not necessarily by race, but by gender, age, income, education levels, and so forth. Piles of personal data are flowing to political consultants attempting to influence your vote, like the Cambridge Analytica that we spoke about earlier, and to government agencies pursuing nonviolent criminal suspects, like, for example, the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Meanwhile, people search websites ex- um, accessible to virtually anyone with a credit card can be a gold, lo- a gold mine for doxers, abusers, and stalkers. People in the country in the United States still struggle to understand the nature and scope of the data collected about them. And according to a recent survey done by the Pew Research Center, only 9% believe they have a lot of control over the data that's collected about them. But the vast majority, 74%, say it's very important for them to be in control of who can get that information. So people care about it. They just don't know what to do about it as of now. But how do data brokers really make their money? Different companies operate in different ways, but they generally sell this information in the form of lists of contact information for people that fall into specific categories. Most of the time, these lists are sorted by interests and characteristics like fitness enthusiasts or new parents. In some cases, however, the lists are a bit more questionable. This goes back to um, some of the red line discrimination and income-based discrimination we see in technology. One company actually sold list one information from 1,000 people with health conditions like anorexia, substance abuse, and depression for only $79. So your medical history, the medical conditions you suffer from that are technically privately and yours only, Once you're on a website and you show interest in a medication or a way to treat yourself, you fall into a list. So if if you suffer from depression, you could go on a list of people who suffer from depression and be marketed in a way that does not help you get over your depression but could make your condition actually worse. That is a terrifying, terrifying thought. When you think of how these lists are broken down and sold, it could be one of the reasons why breaking out of a cycle can be difficult for a lot of different people. But before we proceed, I want to invite you to join us on September 11th, 2019 in beautiful Atlanta, Georgia for the annual CyberHub Summit. CyberHub Summit this year is an invitation-only event for executives. The event will be hosted in Atlanta, Georgia, as we stated, and it will be helping the select group of people invited to attend to experience cyber different. You can apply to attend by going to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James and pre-register there. You will be uh, sent a survey that you will need to complete. And once that service complete, you'll either receive an invitation for the event 
or not, the event is limited in attendance and it is by invitation only at this time. So again, go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. Again, that's cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. This is for cybersecurity practitioners only. So if you are a cybersecurity vendor or you are not an executive, uh, this won't be the right event for you. CyberHub Summit does have other events coming up that will address that specific round. Again, you can go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James to apply to attend. I will be moderating and hosting this year's event for CyberHub Summit, and I'm really excited about it. And I've seen the preliminary agenda, and it is absolutely fascinating. So go to cyberhubsummit.com forward slash James. Again, um, the summit agenda has changed, and it will be by invitation only uh, due to popular uh, demand. So back to our episode. So although consumers don't stand to gain as much as data brokers from their personal information, they aren't completely powerless. 43% of data brokers allow consumers to opt out for free, but they make it very time-consuming, and it's worth the effort if you don't really like the idea of your data being sold. And if you're really serious about your privacy, then for $99 a year, reputation.com will keep your data out of databases entirely. That's another option if you've got $100 to spare. But if you do, you can go to Patreon and support CyberHub Engage, and we would also appreciate it as well. On the other hand, if you're fine with them collecting and selling your data, and you just want to get in on the profits, there are ways to do that too. DataCoop paid consumers $8 a month for access to their social media accounts and credit card transaction detail data in a trial. But this program is no longer available. There's a chance that other companies will follow suit. This is something I've been speaking about for a while now. But Luth Research pays consumers up to $100 a month to participate, to participate in surveys and digital tracking. Here's the deal here, folks. I've been advocating that if you want to use our data, pay us to use our data. Let us know how you plan to use our data. Give us a little bit of money, and I think people will be okay with it. I think the fact that companies are profiting billions and billions of dollars off of our personal data with zero accountability, making our life extremely difficult, or making us pay to get off of their list, because 57% of companies make you pay to opt out. So they don't pay you to get your data, but they make you pay them to not use the data that they collect on you. Very troubling trend. And if you fall into the category of consumers uncomfortable with having their data collected, you'll find what I'm about to say next extremely helpful. And this is where we kind of get into some of the solutions. Now, the U.S. has 50 states. One of the big states that's been advocating privacy has been California. Do we have any California music, Micah? Yeah, here it goes. So, California, for all its glitz and glamour, has no laws. Fact is, there's only one state in the United States of America that talks about data brokers. In that state, you'll never guess it never guess it, is Vermont. Thanks to a Vermont law requiring companies that buy and sell third-party personal data to register with the Secretary of State, there's a list of 121 data brokers that's operating in the U.S. And it's a rare glimpse into this bustling industry that operates largely in the shadows and often has very few rules. Even Vermont's first-of-its-kind law, which went into effect December of 2018, 
doesn't require data brokers to disclose who's in their database, what data they collect, or who buys it. Nor does it require brokers to give consumer access to their own data or opt out of data collections. Brokers are, however, required to provide some information about their opt-out systems under the law, assuming they provide one. So if they don't provide an opt-out, they don't really have to comply with that very clause. So if you want to keep your data out of the hands of these companies, you'll often have to contact them one by one through whatever opt-out system they provide. And I'm going to explain about that here in just a second. I want to go back to the Vermont law just slightly. So I reached out to the committee that put together the Vermont law. I have it sitting right in front of me. It was issued by the Vermont Attorney of General December 11th of 2018. It is Act 171, Data Broker Regulation. So if you want to Google that, again, it's a Guidance on Vermont's Act 171 of 2018, Data Broker Regulation. They define, I think, well, what is a data broker. They talk about consumers in Vermont. So this is specifically to address consumers in Vermont. My guess is that the lobbyists did a very good job here of making sure that this law really has no teeth outside of just protecting and letting the consumers in Vermont know that if there's a company collecting your data, it's got to register with the Secretary of State as that company. The law in itself is extremely interesting. It provides a essentially what information has to be provided, a contact to whom acknowledgement that the information has been received and can be provided, the name and primary physical email and internet addresses of the data broker, if the data broker permits a consumer to opt out of their data broker collection of brokered personal information, opt out of its databases, or opt out of certain sales of data, the method for requesting an opt out, if the opt out applies only to only certain activities or sales, which ones, and whether the data broker permits a consumer to authorize a third party to perform the opt out on the consumer's behalf. A statement specifying the data collection databases or sales activity from which a consumer may not opt out. So it doesn't require them to give you an opt out. It just simply says they're here. Um, considering the fact that there is no other law on data brokers, this is actually a step in the right direction. I won't dog it too much for being extremely ineffective. At least there was effort there and they got something passed. I'm sure they had a ton of lobbyists and people kind of making a fuss about this law and the eventual language by which it passed is weak by any nature, uh, but nonetheless, it got passed. But I want to kind of talk about whatever opt-out systems there are out there so that you as a consumer can make an educated decision and kind of take some steps. Everything I'm about to say will be available on our CyberHub Engage website. You go to cyberhubengage.com click on our episode. There will be a link there that will take you directly to all the information I'm about to give you, including the list of the 121 data brokers registered in the state of Vermont and who they are. So the, the registry is an expensive alphabet soup of companies from lesser known organizations that help landlord research potential tenants or deliver marketing leads to insurance companies to the quiet giants of data. Those big names in people search like Spico, Zoom Info, the white pages, PeopleSmart, and 
Tellius, People Finders, and the numerous other websites they operate, credit reporting agencies like Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion, and advertising and marketing companies like Exium, Oracle, Innovus, and KPM. Some companies also specialize in something called risk mitigation, which can include credit reporting, but also background checks and other identity verification services. Still, the 121 entities registered with the state of Vermont as data brokers represent just a fraction of the broader data economy. The Vermont law only covers third-party data firms, those tracking data, uh, those uh, trafficking in the data of people with whom they have no relationship, as opposed to first-party data holders like Amazon, Facebook, or Google, who collect their own enormous piles of detailed data from users. Stuff that I've spoken about in previous episodes. If you listen, this is the first episode of Goodbye Privacy that you're listening to. This was the first episode to get you to listen. Go back and listen from the very first episode. A lot of stuff that we talk about here we've highlighted in previous episodes. Deleting your data. So with credit bureaus, we have the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which essentially gives us the right to request a correction of anything wrong within our data on our credit reports. But that same FCRA, the Fair Credit Reporting Act, doesn't really exist for data brokers. So for other companies that deal in data, like marketing and people finder companies, the U.S. law mostly doesn't make any guarantees whatsoever. Though that may change in the future as state and federal legislature consider further rules, although at the moment there is nothing pending on this aspect, those could ultimately ultimately bring productions like what we spoke about earlier in this episode, like GDPR, which a lot of people consider strict, but then again, only 0.0002% of the population really gives a damn to file any sort of complaints against companies in the EU. So you can try to remove yourself from a company's database by clicking on the name of the broker and the filing history, and then the click the data broker registration and you'll get a document in a PDF form that contains the details from the company of how to opt out. This is on the uh, Virginia Secretary of State website. By going there and going to the data broker registration, if you click on every single company, you can actually see and fill out a PDF form and see their opt-out procedure, but you would have to do that for all 121 of those agencies, which can be very time-consuming. You can also consult different online guides that list opt-out procedures. A Griffin Boyce, a systems administrator at Harvard University's uh, Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society, has compiled one such list. You can look that up on Harvard University's website. Another guide is put together by Joel Winston, an attorney known for his work on data privacy and consumer protection. And at Motherboard, Yael Grower compiled another list of brokers with tips for opting out. If you're a resident of the EU and you're listening, opt-out.eu has a guide for sending GDPR requests. You can also consult your local GDPR authority and your respective nation for those rules as well. You can also use the Data and Marketing Association DMA Choice Program, which is primarily designed for opting out of direct mail and email messages, but is also used by some organizations to remove consumers from their list entirely. It costs $2 to sign up for the program, and your registration lasts for two years. So for a dollar a year, you get to keep your name off a list that you never wanted to be on to begin with. 
<clears throat> if you're also part of the protected class, which includes a victim of domestic violence, stalking, sexual assault, identity theft, or people who work in law enforcement, some states like California offer Safe at Home, a program that lets victims remove their contact information from databases with a single request. The National Network to End Domestic Violence has also assembled a guide to data brokers that you can use to opt out. So if you're a battered woman, if you've been a victim of rape or stalking, this is a great opportunity and a great resource for you to go and get yourself removed from this list. If you're concerned about how a company is handling your personal data, you can always file a complaint with my favorite folks, the people who I have a love-hate relationship with, the Federal Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission, which has issued millions of dollars in penalties, We've all, if you uh, are listening for the first time, you can listen to some of the oversight and overreach by the FTC. If you go to our CyberHub Engage podcast, I have an episode with the great uh, CEO of LabMD, um, Michael, and you can actually listen to that episode, which will also be linked in the description of this podcast, where you can see if some of the overreach by the FTC. Now, that overreach wasn't good for Michael, but in other cases, it may be just fine to help you gain control of your data. So you can always file a complaint with the FTC about unlawful behavior. Remember, the behavior has to be unlawful. Simply collecting your data without your consent doesn't mean it's unlawful. You may have consented unknowingly through a credit card that you use, any of the social media websites that you use, or anything else that you've ever submitted uh, and agreed to the terms and conditions without properly reading them. And by the way, they're vague, so they never really tell you that they're selling your party or your information to third uh, data brokers. They're just saying, hey, we share your data with relevant parties that we do business with. Some of those could be data brokers. Sorry, you're shit out of luck. Once you consent to Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram, it is what it is. You can also limit data loss by deleting unnecessary apps, using browsers with ad blockers or tracking blockers, adjusting your privacy settings, or using a VPN, which I highly recommend. In order to control your data, though, you may need to hand over some basic information as well to verify that it's really you. But be careful about what you turn over. Other than credit reporting agencies such as Equifax, no one should ever ask you for a social security number or tax ID when you're opting out of something. When sending a copy of ID, mark out the ID number and draw a line across your photo. This will also help minimize the risk with documents that you send via email. Like I said, I will publish the list of all 121 companies on our website at cyberhubengage.com for you to see. We'll also post some of the directions I just read there so that you can go and opt out. I've been asked often what are my conclusions when I cover and I research and we write up this episode. And one of the reasons we went with the hashtag data cartels that you see clearly behind me if you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe and turn on your notifications so you can get alerts. We post content daily on YouTube daily content we post on YouTube. So if you haven't subscribed there, make sure you do so now. And I'll kind of want to get to my conclusions of this episode. And data. The numbers from GDPR tell you how much people really care about their privacy and their data. A lot of it is 
media hype. It's it's a story. We got to get you to care about it. We're going to make it really personal. So you watch it and then it dies in the news cycle. Like the Instagram breach through a third party supply chain vendor that didn't encrypt people's usernames and passwords and phone numbers. And there's something really wrong with that. Now, I've always argued that if we're informed and we're compensated, then there's nothing wrong with the data broker business. And I'm not saying that because I'm a capitalist. I am. But I'm also saying it because when you're paid, you're rightfully and you're informed. When you're informed and you're paid, you're rightfully signing off your rights. It's like going to a blood bank, donating blood. They used to make, they used to pay people for it. Now it's considered an act of charity, but it's no different than when you go to a sperm bank, right? You're giving your sperm for someone to go into a woman. Micah's laughing here. I don't think he was ready for that comment. Um, But you realize you're going to have a kid that you're probably are never going to have a relationship with by donating your sperm for an X amount of dollars at a sperm bank. But there is women that are waiting to become mothers that can't find fathers or couples where the male struggle to conceive and a spur bank becomes a good option to get the seed needed to get the deed done. So there's nothing wrong with the market wanting data to better serve our customers. But at the moment, outside of Vermont, no other state has any laws regarding data brokers. And the California Consumer Protection Act is a mini GDPR. And as I stated at the very beginning of the podcast, GDPR hasn't created any awareness of privacy. And for, in fact, for the vast majority of population, CCPA and other state laws are going to do nothing for the consumers and create a slew of headaches for companies who are going to have to comply with so many different regulations from so many different states in order to serve their customers like the Vermont law just did. And... I know that people who argue for a a smaller role of government say, well, this should be at a state level Um, and invoking the abortion discussion to be just that where states are now passing abortion laws and it's eventually going to go to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court, which is job is not to rule on laws, but to rule on whether a law is constitutional. We've essentially Because of the inefficiencies of our federal legislature, the Supreme Court has become a place where we indoctrinate laws, which shouldn't be the case with data privacy. There should be something that comes down at the federal government level. It should be bipartisan because it really should address the sanctity of American consumer data online. Earlier today... um, Robert Mueller came out, and it was his first press conference past the Mueller report, which was investigating Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. election and the presidential election and whether there was collusion between the Trump campaign and anyone in Russia to uh, impact uh, the outcome of the elections. And as the report stated, there was no proof of any collusion. But one key aspect of it was that the Russians manipulated the system and something you won't hear mainstream media talk about. Something that you don't hear a lot of people talk about is 
the fact was that the people who wanted to manipulate our elections, to sow discord within the American population, to create a level of animosity where a cordial debate can no longer exist within any framework, whether it be at a college campus or through a social media network online, is they're using these data brokers to obtain data about us. Then they're using that data to market and spread misinformation or fake news to a specific demographic to cause discord, which leads to animosity, which leads to political discord, which leads to the state of our politics in the United States today. And really, these data brokers have no reason to change their behavior in collecting data because they're making billions. It's a two over $200 billion a year industry. They have no need to self-regulate because no one's eyeing them. No one is looking at them. Cambridge Analytica came and went as fast as it came. It's as fast as that news, as it died out of the news cycle. For those of us that are in privacy and security, we value it. We talk about it. But you won't hear anyone on CNN or Fox or any other network talk about the fact that we have businesses that facilitated the interference in our elections that made millions and billions of dollars off of it that led to the waste of millions of taxpayer dollar that sowed discord amongst our population where we can't even agree on some basic facts anymore and our elected officials can't even start addressing that and this is something that has to be addressed now facebook's taking steps to do this right if you want to post a political ad on Facebook, you've got to verify. They mail you a letter. Um, it has to have a U.S. address. You've got to verify it. Once you get the letter, you go someplace, you enter the code, and then you verify with your ID, and only then can you start to post some sort of political ad. But that's only political ads because news and other sources, as Facebook tries to combat that through AI and there are 20,000 strong moderators online still haven't been able to tackle it and that's only facebook where's twitter where's linkedin you have other social media networks out there that aren't moderating this at all none of the mainstream media want to report on it but the fact is this data broker industry is enabling this type of behavior and it's making it easy for our adversaries to lay and sow discord amongst us Americans because for ages no matter what right left liberal or conservative we could have a discussion agree to disagree shake hands remain friends go out to dinner grab a beer do whatever in today's climate over the last three years this has almost become an impossible mission and it sorrows me as an American to see that going on in our population and so I challenge you all to write to your congressmen and senators and to your elected officials to make your voice heard on a local and a state level. If enough states do this as well, grassroots folks, if enough states pass a law like Vermont and they pass stricter laws, then laws will get strict and eventually it'll get to the federal level because it'll get required. Much like the privacy laws. You've got one state that's passed it, California, California, 13 others on deck 
with laws similar to California about to get passed. It's going to get the attention of the federal agencies and the federal legislature sooner or later, and then they're going to pass an overall federal law that will supersede state law. Until then, it is our responsibility to fight the data cartels and hold them accountable. If you want to sell our data and you're selling it to Amazon to sell me something, fine, I get it. But if you're selling it to the Russians to manipulate the opinion of other people, we have a problem and not everything should be done for a dollar. I know, earlier I said I was a capitalist, now I'm saying not everything for a dollar. At one point, we have to make a decision. Country over dollar, where do we draw that line in the sand? China has drawn that line in the sand from the very beginning. They banned Facebook, they banned Google. Now that we banned Weiwei, in the U.S., people are raising hell saying, oh, wow, what are we doing? We're limiting free market. Are we really limiting free market? Or are we starting to address the gaps in our policies over the years that have led to foreign nations and adversaries to interfere in our local political and domestic issues and so discord in our population? With that being said, I will finalize with this. They make money on our data without spending a dime to get it. Why should they change anything if we're not asking for it? If we're not requiring it, if we're not making an outrage for it? You can go to cyberhubengage.com to get the list of all 121 companies that are registered with the Secretary of State in Vermont. That's all you're going to need to opt out and start monitoring how your data is being collected. Use VPN. That's it for this week's episode. Next time on Goodbye Privacy, the credit bureaus, the real data cartels. My name is James Cesar. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week.